Hello and welcome to our latest episode of the Thought Leaders Voice podcast, examining environmental, social and governance development in financial services. I'm your host, Rachel Kinsella, Editor-in-Chief at iResearch Services. Today we're delighted to be joined by Kevin Anthony, our Associate Director of Thought Leadership Sales. Kevin is a seasoned sales, communications, research and business development professional with over 13 years experience in the industry and a busy global remit in building and nurturing business relationships where he's actively helped international business leaders to meet their strategic objectives with insight-led thought leadership initiatives. Kevin's client portfolio consists of leading business publishers, top market research and consultancy firms, finance and tech leaders worldwide, with a specific focus on North America and Europe. In Kevin's spare time, he's passionate about mentorship, especially to recent graduates, helping them give a kickstart to their careers and offering his own expertise and experiences to help them advance in their growth. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks for joining us today when I know things are very busy for you. Thanks, Rachel, for hosting me and thank you for the lovely introduction. I've been looking forward to this podcast. Absolutely, so have I. It's really great to have you here. So if we kick off, today we're talking about sustainability in financial services and how it's evolved in recent years. It's something you and I have been talking about considerably over the past couple of years through our work for clients and our own research at our research services, Kevin. The introduction to our How Sustainable is the Financial Services Sector report says that the global financial services industry is at a crossroads, marching towards adopting sustainability, but through an expensive and uncomfortable process. This report was written before the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but when we conducted a follow-up survey in September 2022, the situation appeared to be very much the same. Taking into account the ongoing geopolitical challenges, the continued fight against COVID-19, and rapidly rising costs and inflation, what's the landscape looking like now and for the near future? Can the industry keep the momentum going and build back better? So basically, in my point of view, the pandemic and climate change have raised awareness of uh, corporate environmental, social and governance activities, so-called the ESG activities as a shorter term. And Russia's invasion of Ukraine has brought ESG into the limelight in entirely new ways. Now, uh, the ongoing Russian-Ukrainian war has have having a negative influence on uh, financial markets as well as the overall world economy along with uh, joint ventures between firms like BP and Shell and their Russian equivalents, the war has also resulted in announcements by consumer-facing businesses like McDonald's that they will cease operations there. In addition, several significant international investment firms like JP Morgan's and Goldman Sachs have kind of announced their withdrawals from Russia so I think the current impact on global financial markets, rising commodity prices, inflation, supply chain disruption uh, in certain sectors and uh, fears of global recession due to the current conflict reflect the current uncertainty. Now, uh, when we look at the most popular development in so-called the financial services industry, the rise in popularity of ESG parameters has grown significantly over the last few years. Now, their ESG-aligned investments have increased. Regulators have become more proactive. Millennials are driving sustainable investments. And the results of that is that the fund managers are responding. 
I think we may see a change from traditional strategies to, to be honest, to, to a more honest evaluation of uh, materiality. That's really interesting, isn't it, to see how it's developed over the, the past couple of years, um, ESG becoming a priority for, for businesses, particularly in the financial sector, prioritising sustainable investment uh, and re- really being driven by younger generations, by millennials who are championing new sustainable types of uh, financial investment. And it's encouraging to see that momentum building despite all the geopolitical challenges, the various um, events that have happened since uh, we undertook our, our first piece of research into financial services sustainability and still con- continuing with the, the fight against COVID, there's still after effects there in terms of international markets, uh, but also the, the multiple geopolitical challenges, inflationary pressures, various economic pressures and um, business pressures within organisations them, themselves having to, to face multiple regulatory challenges and, uh, and other changes. So it's perhaps heartening to see that uh, the ESG is still very much at the forefront of the agenda and will continue to, to dominate the, the landscape. Vaughan Ninzi, CEO of Climate Care, says that ESG policies that go beyond do no harm are no longer a nice to have that they're actually now fundamental to business success. And I think that reflects this this shift towards ESG and and sustainability initiatives, that it's actually critical to business success and uh, and strategic operations rather than just a a nice to have. And that's something we've really seen develop over recent years. Our research into sustainability and financial services found that 23% of respondents believe that very few financial services firms currently have the appropriate level of focus on sustainability. 34% believe they're on their way with initiatives, but are aware they still need to do more. Um, so again, that's quite an encouraging figure that um, businesses are, are aware that, that there's still a long way to go. Do you agree? Do you think there's still a long way to go? Do you think that there are... Um, particular initiatives that are, are demonstrating success? Well, Rachel, it's a good question. And I, I, I do remember the research that we did on this particular topic. Well, uh, Rachel, I believe the majority of financial institutions are aware of the need to give ESG more consideration, mm. uh, both to stand out in the eyes of clients and other stakeholders, as well as to respond to regulatory pressure. So I'd say by incorporating ESG, uh, most of the financial services firms can take advantage of their existing uh, competencies, uh, system checks, and reporting to meet investor-grade standards. Now, the firms that adopt a proactive approach to integrating ESG and uh, sustainability into their business strategy or philosophy and even reporting have seen clear opportunities while those that don't have seen clear threats they not only become market leaders, but they also would stand to gain from more convenient access to funds and their associated returns. So that's what that's what my comment would be on this particular question. Yeah, I think so. As a tool for competitive advantage and commercial success, as, uh, as well as actually hitting those ESG targets and, and becoming a more sustainable organization, and indeed, funding and uh, and financing more sustainable initiatives globally. Yeah, indeed. But what about from an investment perspective? 
Well, firms can take strategic action in uh, quite a methodological uh, approach with a strong ESG strategy and begin to gain momentum over time to genuinely differentiate the company. Uh, financial institutions have recognized the need to invest time in ESG implementation to stand out in front of the stakeholders and customers, as well as you know, in responding to regulatory pressure. Uh, certain institutions are already investing actively in ESG data and ratings since customers have already begun, I would say, to favor brands that address most of the ESG concerns in a way that resonates their values. Perception is reality and uh, perception of an institution's ESG efforts will also depend on uh, its reporting. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the importance of transparency in that regard, better reporting um, and being able to track that back for shareholders, for various different stakeholders, and most importantly for, for customers who are, are demanding sustainability measures and uh, looking to, to, to put their money into firms that can demonstrate their, their ESG credentials. So that's incredibly important uh, and again sort of you know uh helps in the in the fight against greenwashing and uh, purporting to be something that uh, uh, that you're not in terms of sustainability i think that feeds into another major benefit of having a credible sustainability policy in place um something that we we don't often see highlighted but is actually business critical is in the recruitment and retention of staff and thinking about staff commitments 48% of business leaders that we surveyed suggest that their employees would work harder for a sustainable employer. And that's a very powerful statistic. And again, like consumers and customers, staff or, or would-be uh, employees are voting with their feet. And, and they're going towards the, the companies that can demonstrate that they're, they're ethical, that they're sustainable, that um, they're working towards a more sustainable future. Is this something that, that you've observed, that you found to be true? And what other ways do you think sustainability can, can help with staff recruitment and retention? Well, it's an interesting question. And I mean, since we spoke about stats in our earlier conversation, now I quite a lot read the IBV, I would say, reports. So what I read from one of the IBM Institute of, for Business Value survey, that 71% of employees and employment seekers say that environmentally sustainable companies are more attractive employers. Now, again, when it goes, comes to statistics, you know, in a recent HP workforce survey, 56% of respondents said ignoring sustainability in the workplace is a bad as ignoring uh, diversity and inclusion. And 40% said they would look for new jobs in their current employers did not kind of engage in sustainable business practices and out of which 39% even said they would warn others of their company's poor sustainability practices. Now, uh, I mean, of course, you know, these numbers just, I've just taken notes of it, you know, before my podcast here. So if you look at uh, the investment trends globally, most of the millennials are investing in sustainable finance. We are living in an era where probably you know 75% of global workforce will be represented by millennials by 2025 uh now as uh, as simon main warring the ceo of we first branding told the guardian uh every employee is 
looking to feel good about where they work and make a larger contribution through sustainability they can feel better about their role within a company so yes you know uh, sustainability will play a very pivotal role with staff recruitment and retention yeah absolutely i think would be employees are or seeking out the the kind of companies that they can feel good about working for that they believe will make a difference that are actually doing what they they say they will uh, and are actually taking positive active steps towards greater sustainability um and uh, in the same way that um when you're looking at the diversity equity and in- inclusion equation um where employees are, are going to be be happiest working, where they're going to be valued, where they're uh, going, going to feel that they are making an, a difference. Uh, it, it all ties in with that attractiveness of, of an organisation. And particularly in the, in the financial services world, I think demand from the potential employees and, and talent is higher than ever now. Um, and it's particularly interesting seeing those younger generations coming into more senior roles in um in financial services companies as well starting to lead that change themselves and it kind of in in a similar way those younger dynamic disruptor firms the innovative fintech companies for example are really driving sustainability success and they were highlighted as such in our uh, in our recent report which financial services companies uh are really standing out as exemplars in sustainability uh, why are they so successful is it these these new challenger firms or it, it, are there some of the the more traditional organizations that are are standing out to you so Rachel a few that come to my mind now now if uh, you look at Starling Bank uh it's a digital challenger bank based in the UK uh it's branchless paperless and run on renewable energy and they've pledged to become a net zero company uh now employees are allowed 16 hours paid leave per year to do volunteer work they are a founder member of tech zero uh, a climate action group for uk tech companies committed to fighting the climate crisis their target is one third reduction in carbon emissions from their own operations and supply chain by 2030 and from 2021 they're offsetting carbon emissions annually now uh, their personal and business account cards became the first uk mastercard debit cards to be made from recycled plastic their uk offices run on renewable energy and they have already completed their first greenhouse gas audit which helps them to understand where the emissions come from so in my opinion challenger banks like starling are exemplars in the fs industry i mean i hope you would agree to what i'm saying yeah i agree i think starling is a great example because they've stood out for a number of years as doing things differently and doing things in the in the right way so uh, from an ethical perspective as well as a st- wider sustainability perspective uh, they certainly get uh, garnered quite a, a reputation for for the way they've been running their business um through different channels through different processes but also like bringing in those sustainability factors right right the way through their their operations but i think that's an excellent example to to highlight and they come up time and time again in terms of a an example or a case study of of success and really driving change forward and I think those challenger banks, those those newer sort of fintech based organisations, are the ones that are 
demonstrating innovation across sustainability as well as the technology that they use and the, uh, and the way they run their business. So it's definitely worth keeping an eye on on those challenger organisations and the the newer disruptive firms uh, to see how how they're approaching things differently and uh, and where they're making headway in terms of sustainability progress. So globally, more than 5,000 companies have joined the UN-backed Race to Zero campaign, the largest ever global alliance committed to achieving net zero carbon emissions by 2050 at the latest. How much progress is being made by financial services companies towards net zero? I'm aware that's only one piece of the sustainability puzzle, but um, net zero is a, a crucial part of it. So again, I think, you know, I'd like to refer to one of our survey report, which was sustainability in financial services which we found that only 37% of respondents believed that enough was being done, whereas 18% believe not enough was being done to finance sustainable development and practices, and there's a lot of more room to play. Uh, I think financial institutions have a key role to play in the fight against climate change and credible decarbonization plans. Now, uh, uh, FS firms play an integral role in responding to the global climate crisis, we found in our report that companies are planning to commit in excess of 500,000 pounds towards uh, sustainable initiatives. And 15% of surveyed firms are planning to commit more than 2 million pounds. Uh, for example, Anne Richards, the chief executive of Fidelity International, uh, had mentioned that they are ambition as an organization is to be uh, net zero by 2030, which is not an easy thing to say as you are pledging to be ahead of most of the economies and most of their peers. She mentions that the easy thing when you set any goal is to go with a minimum that's required and 2050 is the challenge to be net zero. Now, uh, it's, it's, it's important that we try and do more than even we are asking the companies we invest in to do. Uh, I think Fidelity is trying to do when setting up a challenging goal is to change the current thinking of their peers, other businesses and the wider economy, perhaps, and uh, to stimulate an action. I think that's really important, isn't it? To be driven from the top and, and driven from those leaders within the industry. So um, people like Anna to Fidelity, sort of, you know, taking those ambitious goals and setting the agenda for the for the whole industry, so that people stand up and and take notice. And in, in a similar way, BlackRock with Larry Fink's letters um, addressing the the sustainability problem and and really highlighting that across the financial services industry and and beyond. Um, and it's those those leaders, those those front runners who were setting those ambitious targets and and also sort of flying the flag for this is what needs to be done. We're aware it's ambitious, but uh, unless we we try, unless we we work together, it's it's not going to happen. So I think it does take strong voices and strong positions like that to to be able to make change happen. So with all of this in mind, we've had COP twenty six, we've had COP twenty seven. So COP26 really opened the industry's eyes to the extent of the um, the struggle, um, the the needs and the requirements and the commitments that, that needed to be in place across the, the financial services industry uh, towards greater sustainability. 
And then COP27 was picking up on uh, what progress has been made since various commitments were made across the industry and um, looking at wider change and wider cross-industry collaborations. But bearing in mind all of the geopolitical and other uh, economic factors that have come into play since many of those discussions, do you feel that um, issues such as expanding inflation, the economic damage that, that we've seen are affecting financial services commitments to uh, sustainability and uh, and to net zero and do you think that's still very much on the on the radar as a as a priority uh, so as per the un uh, over 160 firms with around 70 trillion in assets have joined forces behind a common goal steer the global economy towards net zero emissions and deliver the paris agreement goals now uh, state street global advisors Trillium Asset Management and Couts and many more are also joining the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative today, uh, bringing its membership to about 87 members with assets under management representing over 37 trillion. Now, the Paris Aligned Investment Initiative is joining the race to Net Zero. So the, the UN convened a Net Zero Asset Owner Alliance 37 members with over 5.7 trillion assets under management are demonstrating ambition to by already setting science-aligned targets for 2025. So looking at this happening in the FS sector, I think and believe that uh, FS companies are still committed to net zero. Yeah, it does seem to be still be that, that, that drive towards net zero and indeed wider sustainability initiatives. Um, it, it does seem to still be... Uh, um, highlighted as the number one priority. Um, it, it's interesting to see how organisations are adapting, bearing in mind various other pressures. Um, but, you know, unless we have a planet to to operate on, um, th- there's not going to be any other types of initiatives. So if you look at it in those finite terms, it, it becomes quite um, quite a real uh, priority and um, brings it to, to life a bit more. As we discussed earlier, obviously, net zero is only part of the sustainability and uh, and wider ESG agenda. One shocking statistic that we saw from our recent research was that 38% of financial services leaders believe that every financial services company is greenwashing in some shape or form. Now, that figure has dropped from a study that we conducted back in 2021, um, which was closer to 70%. But obviously, it's still a significant figure, about 38%. Um, so do you agree that greenwashing is still widespread across financial services? What do you think some of the solutions are? And um, do you think those solutions come in the form of more regulation? Um, do you think regulation is is the answer to, to stamp out greenwashing? Or might it be something else? Obviously, we're we're seeing more ad- advertising legislation coming in. We're seeing more reporting and regulatory reporting initiatives starting to come in globally. Um, but there's no consistency um, across jurisdictions at, at the moment. Um, but with the, the current regulatory attention in mind, um, do you think that that's going to be the ultimate solution, or what? What else can be done? This is interesting. So. Uh, I would say, you know, in, in 2022, uh, Unilever's cleaning brand, Persil, is, uh, as as everyone knows, you know, one of the UK's most popular 
had upped its efforts to appear eco-friendly. Uh, nevertheless, uh, Persil's Dirt is Good TV ads have been banned by the Advertising Standards Agency for unsubstantiated claims to be kinder on the planet. Uh, similarly, Shell is responsible for around 1-2% to of global CO2 emissions from its activities every year while it continues to plow ahead and invest billions in oil and gas. And yet, despite this, uh, their marketing team thought it appropriate to ask their followers on Twitter what they were willing to change to help uh, reduce emissions. Now, a few months later, some karma was served when uh, a European court ordered Shell to reduce their carbon emissions by 45% by 2030 compared to 2019 levels. It's the first time that a private company has been ordered to reduce its emissions by a fixed amount with a defined time frame. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think that the advertising legislation and additional regulations that are that are coming in uh, are definitely having an effect uh, in terms of making up unsubstantiated claims uh, around how sustainable an organization or their products or services are. Um, and I think that will continue to go a long way towards greenwashing. I think potentially there's that there's other areas that need to be introduced um, to get rid of greenwashing altogether, particularly when you look across the entire supply chain or you look across where where all uh, the the different layers of investment are going. So I think it's it's part of the the solution, and I think as regulation is coming into play around broader sustainability targets and uh, and ESG requirements that might have a a greater role to to play in weeding out greenwashing across other areas of an organization as well so it's going to be very interesting to keep a close eye on regulatory developments and and see how they they pan out and uh, and whether it starts to, to create a, a firm barrier against greenwashing. I mean, looking at barriers to being more sustainable or to becoming uh, more sustainable, those companies that don't have net zero policies in place are, are citing cost as a major barrier. Uh, according to 45% of respondents in our 2021 survey and 51% per, uh, of respondents in our 2022 survey, uh, they feel that um, that that cost is a definitive barrier uh, against putting net zero policies in in place. Um, so organisations are having to look at their their investment and how they're allocating budgets uh, and making sure that they're prioritising ESG on that front. Other organisations uh, said in our research that they lack the resources to be to be sustainable. So it's thirty eight percent. So pretty meaty percentage there because they're still recovering from economic shocks. Uh, they're still waiting for more consistent regulatory measures, for example. 40% of respondents um, felt that they, they were waiting for greater regulatory consistency before actually pre- pressing on with their initiatives. And that, you know, that in itself is no mean feat. But on the other hand, firms are waiting for this regulatory change to be able to move their sustainability initiatives forward. Uh, but on the other they're um, citing regulation as a as a barrier that it's you know the multiple regulatory requirements are um, are the priority and uh, and that's creating a barrier to uh, 
to becoming a more sustainable organisation uh, alongside the, the costs involved in uh, regulatory compliance and addressing the, the wider regulatory agenda. So how much of a problem do you think these issues are? Um, what do you think can be done to help? I would like to quote uh, Anne Richards here again, uh, according to her, the great uh, power that business and finance sector in particular has is the that they understand collaboration. Uh, the collaboration that she has seen in particular over the last 18 months, cross sector, cross industry, cross business has been like nothing that she has seen in a 30 odd years of investment. Uh, another interesting thought is from Jill Lofts, uh, who is the head of sustainable finance at EY. Uh, she says that when they think about transition, they think about value-led transition, not thinking about the financial value. They think about the value of their people, the value you're giving to your supply chain, to your clients, and uh, the value that you're giving to society at large. Now, uh, according to me, the way forward has to be of collaboration between governments, businesses, uh, and financial institutions, which is the only way we can achieve the goals that we set as human beings, as society, and as an economy. That's a really important point, Kevin. I think that the need for collaboration globally, across regulators, across governments, across different types of business and organization, and financial institutions in, in particular, um, is the only way that we're going to achieve all of these ambitious goals and 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 by working together and working together in in new and innovative ways that that are being brought to light. I think uh, Anne's comment was very encouraging to see the the level of collaboration across industries, uh, across countries. Um, it's certainly something that over the past two two and a half years since we we've been researching. Uh, sustainability ESG um, and looking at that through the lens of, of different business sectors, um, we are starting to see more innovative collaboration, more across industry, cross jurisdictional collaboration. Uh, and we're starting to see some consistency come in from a regulatory perspective and um, in terms of legislation. But, but without continued cooperation, collaboration, without continually um, finding new ways to to work together for these these common goals, um, no real changes is going to happen. So I think that's an incredibly important point. And as our own, own CEO Yoga Shah says, the time is now to build on this momentum and drive activity on all fronts for a better future. Again, it's no no mean feat, but collaborating, working together, addressing this from from multiple angles lenses, perspectives, uh, is the only way that we can we can really move forward. How do you feel that we can harness the momentum that we're, we're seeing emerge within the financial services sector and their involvement with other sectors? And what learnings can we take from that momentum, from the, the changes that have been implemented so far into other industries? So I think we are at start of a major transformation in capital flows and uh, COP26 has increased awareness about how the FS industry will be crucial to build a momentum amongst businesses, government and other critical actors. Uh, innovation holds the key to building consensus and momentum, allowing financial firms to play a leadership role in a mobilizing decarbonization capital. If we look at the aviation industry, the task of reducing, eliminating the carbon footprints of 
global air transportation is extremely daunting. Uh, Robert Riddell, uh, partner and global leader of McKenzie's disruptive aerospace uh, sector, says getting to net zero won't be easy, but it's possible. Uh, in a recent conversation between him and Ron Levin, uh, a partner at the investment firm Alumni Ventures, Robin said that there are multiple approaches that the aviation sector can take for getting to net zero. Now, uh, approaches like upgrading fleets to new models of aircraft that can deliver 15 to 20% boost in fuel efficiencies, deploying winglets and using lighter materials on existing aircraft. Uh, second, there are operational efficiencies, which would include flying more direct routes, cruising at optimal altitude and speed and decreasing traffic delays. Uh, third would be there are disruptive technologies, truly sustainable propulsion alternatives such as hydrogen and electric. And fourth, uh, more sustainable aviation fuels. Uh, these are fuels that can be used for our existing storage infrastructure, but are made from renewable sources such as uh, biomass. So I think every government, every business has to set a clear path and goals uh, and think on similar lines like fidelity. 2050 is the challenge to reach net zero but we should start thinking how soon we can reach there and not set 2050 as a benchmark. Yeah, absolutely right. And to bringing forward those those ambitious goals and uh, and using that as a as a call to arms for for people to um to be able to to move forward at a at a faster pace. I think there's there's a pattern here of different sectors being able to use innovative technologies science-led principles and initiatives to, to become more sustainable and, and drive greater sustainability and also sharing the, those kind of innovative technologies and, and, and ways of working with other sectors so that they in turn can be more sustainable. And of course, from a financial services perspective, it's, it's not just looking at um, the sector itself, but looking at the industries that uh, the financial sector is financing. So um, ensuring sustainability throughout all levels of investment and right across the, the whole supply chain. Again, no mean feat, but with innovative technology developments, new approaches and collective collaborative efforts, progress can be made. We're, we're seeing it. We're seeing it emerging in, in some sectors over others. Um, but we we are starting to, to see things happen. Um, we're all aware that it, it's still not enough, um, but uh, hopefully things can progress and uh, and will improve uh, as we we all work together. So let's hope that that's enough, not just for the financial services sector, but across all sectors. Thanks so much for joining us today, Kevin. I really enjoyed talking to you and and hearing your insights from from the research that that you've been doing across a a number of types of business and. Uh, and areas looking at financial services and sustainability. Uh, hopefully speak to you again soon. Thank you, Rachel, for hosting me. Speak to you soon. Thanks, Kevin. Bye now.